Hey, y'all. Welcome to Traumarama Ding Dong. This is Remy Ramirez. This is Jonathan Griffin. And we are so excited to talk to you today about STIs and STDs, all the trauma with STDs, STIs. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. And at the end, we have a really cool guest, Michael Schiffa, who's joining us. She is a doula and a sex educator. And she's going to kind of help us talk about some of the emotional impact around STDs and STIs and what the, you know, what the heck goes on. Cause it's not like, I think normally when we talk about this stuff, it's about statistics and that that's important too, but also like, what the fuck? It's also fucking traumatic. And we should talk about that. Yeah. Also real quick, it's Valentine's day, which I think is like really important to kind of like oh my God. bring up because trauma, love, Valentine's day, sex, sex. herpes, warts, all the things. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. How are you feeling about it? Me personally, I feel yeah. great. I think yeah. it's funny because I like went to send someone a, um, you know, a gif, a gif. I don't know what camp you're in, but I went <laughs> to send one this morning and it was like, it was like Snoopy getting smacked in the face with a heart by um, the little bird. Um, and no, not that's not Tweety. What? What's the bird? Um, um, what's his name? Something Wood. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, like all of the gifs, gifs I could find were like semi-violent. And I was like, why is that? Why is it like woven thematically throughout love and Valentine's Day, like a little bit of violence, like a little bit of heartbreak. So anyway, that's how I am. I'm fine. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I, is... I kind of get, I get it because... I feel like I'm stoked on Valentine's Day leading up to it. But then when the day actually comes, I'm like, what is life? I have, I go into like an existential, like what is happening? Like, and also I am not one of those people who's like Valentine's Day is like a commercial, whatever. No, like, right. Also, I feel like those people maybe don't date heterosexual men because mm. without Valentine's Day, like how many heterosexual men are like, showing up with flowers and chocolates you know what i mean you, like, would, you would never get chocolate okay woodstock was the name of the little bird oh yeah but i did i biked down to rainbow grocery and bought myself a bunch of like really yummy like organic-y sweet things and i binged yeah which i think cool. you have to but i mean there's a lot of fiber so cool also i am addicted to gummy gummy vitamins you know delicious yeah yeah just so don't good. overdo on the fiber ones because I did that once and it was a learning curve for sure Ooh, I'm I... also addicted to fiber so well we need it we're getting older yeah also um I have given myself some canker sores with these gummy vitamins because they're like sour mm. and like the ph balance in my mouth yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck, dude? You're eating like 12 of these a day. Like, I oh truly God. do have an addiction. So that is so, sort of like my Valentine's present to myself. When when weed gummies first came out, I and my twin did like a twin retreat, which we do every year. We do at least like a few weeks. And we got like, we went to this resort in Big Sur that was like, uh, it was like a yurt in the middle of this like vast wilderness. Anyway, we brought all of these weed treats primarily weed gummies and I got munchies from them but the only food we really had were, were more, more weed, weed gummies, gummies. <laughs> so it was like this like vicious cycle and Dove went to sleep and they woke up at like 6 a.m and I was like 
ravenous and like roving the forest like crazy eyed anyway did you find like berries or did you like hunt a squirrel no I just kept eating the weed it was like a vicious cycle (laughs) and then I like slept the whole next day because I was like it was very funny yeah also weed gummies they just put me to bed like I I eat them when I can't sleep I wouldn't do it different though yeah I mean everyone's got a different vibe for that that's true yeah um okay are we gonna are you ready are you ready for this y'all ready for this i'm the most ready for this okay um i feel like i would say that it's your turn to go first but i i feel like you probably have um like a more in-depth take and so i think maybe i should go first for some trauma light a hot take yeah Yeah, for my hot take yeah okay That's the mic, baby. Okay, so my experience with STIs and STDs. First of all, I just found out the difference between them because before this, we were talking to Michael and she clarified an STI is something that's treatable and curable like chlamydia and an STD is something like HIV that is not. So um, tight. We know that now. And then what were you going to say, Jonathan, about like what the youth are saying about STDs that it's it's like a traumatizing term or what were you saying about that? I mean, no, I just think that there's so in at least in the queer community, there's just been a lot of stigma and like especially racialized stigma around like certain folks being more diseased than others, quote unquote. And like Mm -hmm. a disease is something, for example, like HIV is a disease because it's chronic. Um, whereas an STI, like chlamydia or gonorrhea, is an infection uh as it's treatable, right? Um, but yeah, I think at least I've heard some younger folk and myself included kind of talk about it and it's like why stigmatize like it's just a drippy dick like we don't like stigmatize people with a cold you know versus like basically your dick has a cold yeah exactly I mean I guess COVID's kind of thrown that whole thing a wrench in that whole logic but like yeah why are we stigmatizing each other for these things that we're all capable of carrying and treating and like I think talking about them because shame is a prison right and like if we like put each other in the prison of shame like what you really want is just out of it and so like bringing those things into light and like calling them STIs as they're treatable is kind of like one of the steps towards destigmatizing it. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I already learned something in the last like five minutes. So this is great. Um, okay. Yeah. So I like to ease into my trauma with a trauma light story. It's like diet trauma, less filling tastes great. So when I was living in Spain, when I was 21, I went to get a pap and also by the way, sidebar, I'm getting a pap smear in Spanish, which is already a little uncomfortable because like, you know, that's Do not you remember my... what it's called. Sorry. <laughs> I should have looked that up. No, I don't. Not at all. You're the Chica next too. You should have this on ready. God damn it. I really should know that. Um, So yeah, so it's not my first language. So it's already a little uncomfortable. But then. It's it's Prueba de Papanicula. Did you just look that up? Yeah, I did. Oh my God. Papanicula? What? No, I don't remember that. I want to talk about it. But I, but prueba, prueba. Yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, okay. So I go into this appointment and homegirl doctor lady, you know, she already has me down on the thing with my feet in the stirrups, which is so vulnerable, you know, and she slips a fucking camera up in there. 
like a selfie mm-hmm. stick for your vagine. And suddenly I'm seeing the walls of my vagina and my cervix and all the things being blasted on this big ass TV in the corner of the room. And she did Whoa. not warn me that this was about to happen. And so I'm watching her do all the things like inserting the speculum and swabbing around or whatever. And suddenly I fucking see blood <gasps> and she's like, oh, sorry, I cut you. And she just oh my laughs. God. And I was like, the fuck is going on here? Oh, and also as the like reality uh, TV show of my sex organs is just like on massive display, like Manhattan Times Square style, her Jesus. secretary just walks in, just walks the fuck in and is like, blah, blah is on the phone for you. And they're just talking about some totally inconsequential bullshit with oh my, my fucking vagina movie happening on the wall. <laughs> So oh my God. you should have copyright. You should have gotten copyright on that. But yeah, I also should have been like, can you record on the film? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Can you please record this? So I can keep it. It's amazing. But anyway, all of that was was definitely traumatizing. But that's not even my story. So after she did all the tests, she had me come to her office for the results and was like, you're great. Everything's good. The only thing is that you've tested positive for streptococcus. <laughs> And streptococcus, if you're not familiar, is the long, scary, cock-bearing name for strep. And I was so confused because I was like, first of all, you're my gyno. So I don't know how the fuck you tested me for strep. But also, I feel like if I had strep, I'd know, you know, and I feel fine. So I basically said that to her. I was like, "Um, I don't think I have strep because I'm not sick. And she was like, oh, no, no, you don't have strep. Your vagina has strep. Oh my God. <laughs> like what? what in the actual fuck are you talking about? But yeah, it turns out that if someone has strep in their mouth and then they eat you out, <clears throat> you can get pussy strep and it can live in there for years. She told me it's actually really common, like so common that they don't even test people for it most of the time. So it's fucking wild. But anyway, she said the real concern about it is that if you get pregnant and you have a vaginal birth, the baby could get strep. So you have to tell your OBGYN if you have pussy strep. So fucking FYI. Whoa. <laughs> that is true. That's actually what I was going to add. Hi, Michael. Um, yeah, tell hi, us. Hi, everybody. Sorry, I'm coming in on the pregnancy um, mention. Um, so yeah, group B strep is something that a lot of people have. Um, the treatment for it in pregnancy ranges country to country. So in the U.S., you're tested for it around 36 weeks. And if you're positive for group B strep, you are offered... And I say offered, but really you're pushed um, antibiotics during labor. Um, And so group B strep is really, really, really not a big deal. The chance of it passing on to baby is super, super, super low. Mm. But if it does pass to baby, it actually has a considerably high fatality rate. So, um, and it, and it's, it's not that like, if you went, if someone went down on you with strep, they wouldn't necessarily have it in their mouth. There's essentially strep on your computer, on every surface, on all the things. But and how does it get like from your computer to your vagine? Uh, have you ever touched your vagine? Oh, I have. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've, so there you go. I've even touched <laughs> Even Jonathan has touched his vagine. Also fecal matter because unfortunately oh, and fortunately, depending on your ideas of anal play, the butthole is right next to your vagina. So that's another thing that's It truly vagina. is. The kids today are really into anal play and just another. Yeah. And medicine. can I just say to the kids, like, no double dipping. Okay. If oh. you do butt stuff, absolutely wash the dick, the toy, whatever that is before it goes in any other holes. Okay. Great. So please, my, Michael, please let 
remind me of that because that ties into my trauma, but go ahead, Remy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Michael, thank you so much for interjecting. That was really helpful. Okay. So now this is, now we'll do my mid-level STI trauma. So I started getting fever blisters on my lips when I was five or six years old. And as we all maybe know, or maybe not fever blisters, I mean 80% of us, 80% of the goddamn population knows. Um, but only 10 to 20% show symptoms. Okay. We'll probably have to talk. Yes. We'll. Okay. So state that whole, uh, data fact, tell us what that is. Again. No, I mean, it's, so I guess these 80%. numbers, self-reporting data is really not that useful oftentimes because people, uh, respondees usually respond with the data that they think you're looking for. Often. In other words, they're fucking liars. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sure. Especially in like a sex negative culture, but they're like, I don't have herpes. Up to 80% of the population in the U.S. has herpes or SS or HSV1, which is the herpes simplex virus that causes oral herpes. 80% are positive, but only 10 to 20% experience outbreaks or visible symptoms. So that's what I, that's what I could find okay, on CDC's we'll website. Because I am part of that, <laughs> part of that tiny fucking group of people. Yeah. So I started getting them when I was five or six years old and some people I think are a little confused about this, but yeah, fever blisters, AKA cold sores are herpes. So just mm. FYI to you. Um, so I first just want to clarify that even though cold sores are herpes, they're often not sexually transmitted. I think I probably got it from my mom from like giving her a kiss or drinking out of her glass or something. Um, but yeah, and I, and I definitely don't have whatever the simplex is that makes you have an outbreak, like once every four years or whatever the fuck, like those people could eat shit and die because they basically don't have it. That's not true. It's not that they don't have it. And also they don't have to eat shit and die. I'm just, I'm just so bitter, but because I usually, I usually get one like once a year, maybe twice. Mm. Stress is the big trigger. I mean, at least in my experience, but I can talk about that later. Well, no, but that's perfect. Cause that's what I was about to say is that when I was working at nasty gal, one time I was just going through like fucking hell at work and I was super stressed and I what was work was causing you fucking hell. That's so out isn't of, that's bizarre. We should definitely do an episode on work drama on herpes uh, trauma because of I'm, work. I'm personally doing great under the yoke of capitalism. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right. Your body, the femme body, which is like the ultimate container of labor power in the capitalist system, the right, creator of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So well, yeah, you so, found the way. So I found, well, yeah. And so my, my body found the way and that was to give me a canker, not canker sore, a fever blister, like once a month for five months straight. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was fucking awful, but thank God for a cyclovir because they used to be, so, I used to get them so big, like a contagious grape stuck to my goddamn face. Like, mm. give me that drug, baby, that a cyclovir makes them, I mean, like they're not sponsoring us, but sponsor us a cyclovir because it makes them yeah. go away in like three days. If you're days. listening. Yeah. Where are Procter you? Procter and Gamble. <laughs> yeah. Johnson and Johnson, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Uh, they go away in like three days and they stay so little that you like can't even tell that it's there. Also, oh my God, sidebar pro tip, acetone, oh. which is the main ingredient in the cheap shitty nail polish remover that you get at the 99 cent store mm. will also kill that shit. I've heard that I use hydrogen peroxide. Does that work? It dries it out. Yeah. And oh. it like keeps because the ganglion or the thing that like 
bring out the virus and those are what are activated through stress oh my god literally hate the ganglion yeah same or ganglia whatever it's a whole gang a whole ugly gang (laughs) um anti-gang um it's it's literally a gang they are they will fucking like bust out some knives and like cut you cut you in the goddamn face um yeah so anyway ugly a, a weeping herpetic ulcer thank you yeah yeah but anyway yeah so acetone um you know, you're just literally rubbing nail polish remover all over your mouth. So that's probably not great health wise, but like also Whereas hydrogen peroxide straightens or whitens your teeth. <laughs> that's true. That's oh what God, I use it for. Two in I, one. Like, I gargle with it because, you know, I want white teeth, but also two in one, baby. kill the herp. herp. Yeah, kill that herp. Also, a Breva and a Cyclovir together. Fucking power couple like so sexy style that city shit is so fucking expensive okay it i have is. a i have a shoplifting story just real quick because yeah, i was insert, like please i was partying oh my god i have so much trauma but i was poor because i wanted to spend my money on coke and booze when i was like a teenager sure. in san francisco and um i had i didn't want to spend money on something like sensible like you know getting my prescription refilled or a breva so i tried to steal um, a Breva from a Walgreens in San Francisco with a huge herpy on my face. And <laughs> as I'm running out of the store, I get taken down by the security oh, officer. And no. then they take a picture of me <gasps> holding the Abriva with the huge herpy. No! Yeah, oh yeah. They take a picture and then they slap that shit behind the register. Absolutely fucking not. Rude. As like a shame thing. So I was like every oh, level of shame. It's true. I think it might still be there. I should go. It was. It's the one on Powell and Bush. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, um, the one yeah. that sells all like the San Francisco kitsch merch, and then my gay face with a huge herpy. <laughs> a Breva is so expensive. It's like twenty five dollars or something for this tiny ass tube. Like, but isn't that capitalism? They're like, hey, everyone needs this thing that will like decrease your suffering by like a lot. So we're gonna like charge you a stupid amount yeah so if you're poor you can't have it yeah totally yeah Yeah, and then um also lysine just want to throw it out there that lysine sucks and doesn't work so yeah or like (laughs) Like, alkaline foods so like i've learned too, like cashews for example which i love but like if i eat a butt ton of cashews you just fucking city I mean, yeah, but then I can like balance it out by taking a lysine. So like if I know I'm going to like hoard, like for example, I eat that like vegan cultured butter and just like if I eat a ton of it, I just like take a lysine and it like I have an opposite reaction. That's just my experience and everyone's body is different. But I mean, the one time I had like one of the worst outbreaks of my life was when I tried to take lysine. (laughs) It was just like my body was like, I fucking hate lysine. So here's some real quick not to like super like take it us off topic but like i just want to say like whatever we're talking about like michael maybe is like the actual person who has more like experience in this but like we're just talking about our experiences and our bodies so in no way are we like trying to treat or diagnose anybody no my god you guys do you maybe license i'm also not trying to do that over zoom but i do try to give the absolute most correct up-to-date information possible so (laughs) That's why we and love, we you, love you for that. Oh, thank we, you. we try to give the least accurate. <laughs> no, I think, for example, like my twin and I always talk about it because we both have herpes. So we like talk about what works for us. 
Yeah. And, okay. So for um, me, a Cyclovir and a Breva and nail polish remover, but not the nice nail polish remover, the shitty acetone nail polish. Okay. Remover. I'm going to try it though. Cause yeah, now... it works. I'm telling you. Okay. But I do have a cute little trauma story about the place where oral herpes and high school intersect. Oh no. Which I'm sure, uh, you can surmise it's really fun. I had a friend and he'd been a really good friend of mine since middle school. Like we were in choir together, you know, like fucking we did the trip to Washington DC together in the eighth oh grade, all the things. Honor you know, choir. You, honor choir. Yeah. And wow. then our senior year of high school, I started dating a dude. Let's call him Biff. 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 And this middle, this middle school friend that I'd known forever ran into Biff at a pool hall one night and told him, you know, you should think twice about dating Remy because she has herpes. <gasps> so, you know, that was fun. And it really highlights like how reductive the culture is and its treatment of, I think particularly women, but maybe like all kinds of people who, you know, women who have herpes and like as just these walking herpes balls that are undateable and that's it. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that fucking dude, my old friend wanted to bone and I did not. And that's also what happens with these chode misogynists. They will just pose as your friend. And then when they can't put it in you, they'll pretend like they actually give a fuck that you get fever blisters when in reality they are hundred percent DTF. But yeah, I mean like, of course, when I was 17, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know like what misogyny was in high school. So I just felt like really shocked. And I only I, know because I was a misogynist. I mean, only because I like that was the culture. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So my other experience with PTSD, which if you missed it on the last episode, Jonathan was going to start a, a podcast called PTSD with his twin. Still which might. Is, like pretty much the best podcast I've ever heard. Yeah, please do it. Um. Anyway, yeah, fast forward 15 years, I was 32 and I met a dude who was 10 years younger than me at a bachelorette in Vegas at the Marquee, which is a club that's like, I guess a cool club in Vegas, like not that Vegas has any cool clubs, but anyway, so yeah, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I got to go. I like, I hightail it out of there, like drunkenly got in a cab back to the hotel. And, and by the way, and I just had a vision of this, I ordered room service clam chowder which mm. is totally irrelevant to the story, but also just like goddamn like clam chowder when you're drunk. But, so but like such a great thing to order in the middle of a desert. Thank you. Like there the story <laughs> of those clams needs to be told. Maybe that's the next podcast. Like where are those fucking clams from? Desert yeah. seafood clam. <laughs> the best kind. Story of my vagina, but also the clam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Anyway, this guy got on Insta the next day and searched the marquee geotag and he found my little post and my little <gasps> crop top. Clever yes, though. I know. I was really into it. I was like, oh my God, he likes me. And he slipped in my DMs because he also lived in LA, but like very much with his mother because he was 22. And but also smart, you know, save that money. Yeah, but no. also not smart. Mm -mm, no. What? I, I mean, mean, it depends where his mom lives and the type of house she had. Like, I definitely I went over know. there, and he definitely had okay, yeah, maybe a dry cool. erase board in his room, oh. <laughs> where he like wrote out all the ways that he was going to work out for the week. Um, oh my god, he kept like a tick, like a like a count of all the women he slept with, probably literally. Like I am telling you, like literally, that's who this guy was. He was like so oh. hot, and he worked out all the time. Bless him wherever he is. Bless him wherever he is. He honestly, he had like, he was, 
he was really hot, but one, but I also knew that he was really bad news. Like I knew this guy was bad news. I knew that he, like, he was acting like he really liked me. And I was like, how many, how many women do you really like right now? Like a a solid 15 probably. So anyway, Mm. one night he came over and didn't have a condom. And I was like, do you have, um, do you have any STDs or STIs that you know about? And he was like, no. And long story short, he gave me, uh, he gave me HPV, which, um, you know, in his defense, they don't, they don't test men for HPV because men are only carriers they don't get right. symptoms from it. And we just right. live in this patriarchy that doesn't care about whether or not women get cervical cancer. So dudes will just be like shooting their HPV peens into ladies right and mm. left. And like, But I mean, also, you know, I do think it's important to talk about like men aren't symptomatic, right? And so right. it's like the receptive partner usually, especially when it comes to HPV, and I will talk about this, but are the symptomatic ones because the way that the virus works and those little warts like to live in moist conditions, right? Like moist, verdant conditions, which the Vajahim and the anus are the ones that have the, you know, it's like Goldilocks. Those little, those little HPVs are like, this one's just right. So anyway, (laughs) I mean, not to like defend the man, which is something I don't usually do, but like, they don't know. Right. You know? And that's my point is that it's in not, good it's, faith. They could have been answering that question. Right. He, defend he this 20 year old. Yes. No. And I readily admit that. And my issue more is with the structure, the power structure that says sure. like, we're not going to test men for this because right. who cares I would if, never who they test give it, it to. until I had like a cauliflower that was given to just me blooming by and blossoming. Yeah. But that's a long story on the pain. Yeah. So when I went to get, no, it pe- wasn't on the pain, but okay. Oh, it was on the anus. Mm-hmm. Okay. The little anus caboose. So, um, <laughs> anyway, the lesser known Egyptian god. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, I went to get a pap a month later, and it came back abnormal. And the doctor explained to me that they only test for high risk strains of HPV, HPV that will probably lead to warts or cancer. And so I like fully lost my shit. I got this call oh. while I was at work. Um, at nasty gal actually at our office in downtown LA. And I was so upset. I went into this, um, onto this secret rooftop spot where we would all go cry when the bathroom was taken. Oh no. And I just fucking sobbed and I was so scared. I mean, I was completely freaking out. And so then I called one of my best friends in the world and I was like, Oh my God, girl. And I told her everything. And she was like, Oh yeah, I had warts. Right. And this is my best, like one of my best friends in the world. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, I never told anyone because I was really embarrassed, but it honestly wasn't a big deal. I got, but I also think that's like kind of the benefit of destigmatizing and talking about it and bringing yes. this shit out into light because it's when you do talk about it, like, for example, same, like when the first time I got drippy dick, I was like, this is happening. And like most people that I talked to were like, yeah, that happened. Or like, okay, you know, like, when you, like, shame is a prison that wants to keep you down, right? But, like, when you bring it out, and you're like, oh, my God, this thing is happening to me, you free yourself, because often you find that other people have similar situations, right? Yes. Anyway. Right, that's exactly, yes, and so that was exactly 
what I realized in all this. She was like, yeah, like I got HPV from my cheating ass ex. I got warts and Mm -hmm. I, and I got them burnt off. And that was that. And after that conversation, exactly like you're saying, I talked to a few more people and literally everyone I talked to was like, oh yeah, I had warts. I got them burned off. It was fine. Um, so anyway, right. I like, for whatever reason, I never actually got warts. And I don't know if that's because my immune system just fought it off or what. And it's the those H- gummy bites. That it was my gut. It was my, um, my Omega gummies, mm. <laughs> the, the, the sour kind. Mm. So good for the, for the regime. And anyway, the HPV, like it was gone by the next time I went in to get a pap smear. So that was amazing. But what I realized was that like the high school sex ed, you know, like the education I'd received in seventh grade and ninth grade and whatever, like they scared the ever loving shit out of me and made me feel like I was going to have this like permanent witch hag pussy, like snow white stepmom witch with like a death apple and a green nose, but like in pussy form, (laughs) but like turns out 90% of the time, you know, HPV takes care of itself within two years and it only very rarely persists and warts are just really common and treatable. So even if you get them, it's not nearly the scary, awful, stigmatizing thing that your fucking Baptist health teacher made you think it was sophomore year. I just burned some off by the way, but and how, yeah, like, okay, body are, you gonna, are you going to talk about what that experience is like? I am ma'am. Okay, good. I am. Okay. Thank you. Cause I want that. Um, so yeah. So the I healing have a quick for- note. Oh, I yeah, have a quick please. note. Yeah, yeah. So I think when we're talking about stigma and such, like in pre-industrial time, pre-antibiotic time, there was so much fear around the body, especially the female body, right? And like, we just are lucky kind of to live in a time where we can talk about it and like also treat these things or like have access to WebMD. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and also yeah. have an- access to like- I just want to, to name like- that privilege of like how- yeah, we can even do this, but like knowing that there's treatment, you know, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, you know, once upon a time, women were putting like lemon halves in their pussies to like, try to like, as right. But if you got syphilis in like the 14th century, you were done for. Right. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So, yeah. So anyway, my whole, my healing around it is just like exactly what you're talking about is destigmatizing, talking to people and finding out it's really, um, common and, you know, people that, you know, and love have gotten STDs and STIs and they've been okay. And, um, that's my, that's my two cents. What about you? What do you got? Oh my gosh. Well, I can start with my, I have an HPV journey. So I had a good friend come over and they were visiting and we went to a bar together and we just drank tequila all night. And there was like this beautiful hippie that she and I decided to hook up with. And then um, right before the hookup, she was like, just so you know, I had a really like virulent, intense form of HPV that was really difficult to like get rid of. And I was like, it's fine, right? Cause it was like mezcal hour and there was this like beautiful adonis in our bed and we were about to like <laughs> share, but we only had one condom. <laughs> No. Okay. So, so this is a penis having person that y'all brought home. Yeah. And this penis having person put his penis in her and then in me, even though I'm not usually the receptive, but I was willing. And I had never, I had only ever had people be like, oh, I had HPV. And it was like, oh, it's not a big deal. Right. 
anyway, long story short, a few weeks later, I like had a whole situation in my butthole that I called Putin's purge because I had to like <laughs> purge it. Oh my God. Po- it po- just intense. Putin around. Just Putin. Putin out of the tutor. Um, <laughs> so that was like a whole thing. Um, and I just actually went to a proctologist last week who I loved because she was so cute, but this like very sweet elderly Asian woman. Um, and she called my sphincter shy because oh. apparently I have what they call a, a shy sphincter, but oh. I have no internal warts. So the burning it off apparently took them away. Um, right. But I do have a terror and she recommended less coffee and more fiber just in case you're listening and you're wondering about that. Um, <clears throat> Wait, so, but so the burning, but you had had them burnt off previously. Yeah, yeah. And they were um, internal or external? Uh, they were right on the the kisser, right on the right, just the rim of the beauty, the beautiful one eye of the of anus caboose. Yeah. Okay, and what was that experience like? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so so that- wait, wait, wait. So, what was that? What was the experience like of getting the warts burn off? I mean, there was like a, I went into the office and the ones that they could burn off, they just like froze and then they like kind of fell off. But then they gave me this thing called Podophylox, which sounds kind of like a, a Susian character, like the Podophylox or whatever. Like it's like roaming the forest. What and is Susian? Like Dr. Seuss. Oh, Susian. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, suspicious. Yeah. Bophylox Sedox. Yeah. Yeah. Pos- whatever. Podophylox. Um, Podophylox, I don't know how it's pronounced, but it sounds like a fucking Seuss character. Totally. And then I self-applied um, and it was fucking painful. It like literally like burns the tissue and it was like oh. not fun. Um, but yeah, and so anyway, I went to the doctor, it's all gone. I don't really know, um, but it's getting passed on. So I think um, the condom situation, I guess there's a like a myth, like condoms don't really HPV is that correct yeah so well yeah so with HPV and herpes um, you really just need the skin-to-skin contact Mm. Um, you know what actually I don't let me double check that on HPV but with herpes um, whenever you're exposing a mucous membrane like the anus or parts of the vagina and vulva condoms do decrease the risk of getting a transmission but um, you can also have get those things from outer course right so and not everyone has condoms. Like if you have two vulva people having sex without like a external condom, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, So there's lots of um, safer sex practices that are like safer sex for HIV and chlamydia and syphilis, but they don't actually prevent against um, genital warts and herpes. Okay. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I also like just- But wear a condom, but- yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll lower the risk, but it's not like you won't get this. It's not like a guarantee. No, I mean, I have a, I have a few data points. One is that one in five people in the U S had an STI on any given day in 2018. 20% baby. Yeah. So I think that like, when we talk about STIs or STDs, like they're not, these aren't things that are like far away from us. They're things that like a lot of people experience and that are like, more common than not so like anytime that we're bringing something that's super common or like experienced by a lot of people out into the open we're really just making for like a better you know healthier sex life for everybody so I think that that's something that I like you know really is inspiring for me but like so for me Truvada like 
at least in the gay community, um, like there's so much. So I was raised to believe that AIDS was a punishment by God for like gay people or people who are like living like this like abhorrent, like terrible lifestyle. Um, and that sinners. was like a reaction. Yeah, sinners, but especially queer sinners. Um, right. And like, I was, you know, that was like the belief that I was like, and that's like very Reaganist. That's very like neoliberalist policies. Like, fuck the gay people that like gay cancer was what they called AIDS. Mm, right. um, and like this, totally. you know, this topic in general, like the STI, STD topic is something that I'm sure we're going to revisit a lot. But it was just like, just the, culturally, like how much shame we put into that and how much shame is around like the body, but especially STIs, STDs. Um, but I think safe sex practices are, you know, safer sex, I think is the preferred term these days. But um, yeah, I mean, like, so I'm on Truvada, which I still take every day, even if I'm not having tons of unprotected sex because for me just the psychological benefit of having this thing that can prevent something that like my community was like ravaged by and like to this day like there's still such a global pandemic especially among you know people of color um especially you know like people without access to healthcare or like information like that HIV and AIDS is still such a living pandemic. Um, and it's yeah. something that we don't talk a lot about, especially yeah. in the gay community, especially among like affluent gays, right. Who have access to this. So it's, it's such a privilege that I have a pill that I can take every day. Um, but and, for but, me, and Truvada tell, wait, explain real quick what it does. I mean, it prevents your body from contracting the virus that causes HIV. HIV. Okay. Um, but I mean, even in the gay community, especially in the US right now, people who are HIV positive, they, they are able to take through antiretrovirals enough medication that keeps their um, HIV viral load below the threshold that would make them um, transmissible, meaning like people oh, who are HIV positive who are on treatment, it's almost it's impossible to pass on the virus if they're under their viral load. So oh, I like, had no idea about that. Yeah, we've yeah, made we so have much come, progress. We have made so much progress. Um, and one of my favorite like outspoken celebrities about this is Jonathan Van Ness. Yeah. Um, and they came out as HIV positive, I think a few years ago, and they kind of share their journey. Um, but just to speak to like that patriarchal, um, like I think you called it like a Reagan, Reagan thing about him. how it's like a curse from God. It's yeah. just so convenient to like put it on like, women, people with vulvas, people who receive anal sex, because those are the people that are like the most marginalized, right? Right. And so it's just so convenient that that's like, it's so convenient for the right how like HIV is spread because it really is the most marginalized. And that is why it's taken so freaking long for them to actually do anything about it. Yeah. And I mean, so another thing about in the US, one of the only communities that HIV is still on the rise, um, there's that siren, like I was saying, that happens from time to time in we San love Francisco. It. We it's love it. So, it's so real. Um, it's so gritty. But one of the places that HIV is still on the rise is in the South because there's so much stigmatization sure. around. So there's these people who are in these like same sex partnerships or sexual relationships, but go home to their wife. Right. And it's because of that stigma that allows it to like persist. So I think that like, yeah, there's just so much drama and drama and shame around it, that that's the thing that keeps it going, right? So it's like the thing that's feeding 
like HIV in this country anyway. So, and also uh, they're the most um, likely places to have abstinence only sex education. Exactly. Um, so when you combine abstinence only sex education with stigma, you're going to get people that aren't knowledgeable about transmission of certain STIs and STDs. And also people that actually don't know how to discuss it to say like, Hey, I have this, like, what are your boundaries on that? You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. So, it's not like, yeah. So if you have like all this shame, it's going to be a lot harder to make those like informed choices about who your partners are um, and what kind of precautions you guys can take. Well, and I think that like without, when you don't stigmatize it, there's like a disconnect between like parents who think that their children are sexually, you know, don't think about their children as like sexually active. So don't give them like real lived, like, uh, usable advice about it you know like the worst and another thing that makes me freaking bananas is that when parents are like oh I don't want my kid to have Gardasil because then they'll have sex and it's like yeah Gardasil if you don't know it's like the um vaccine for HPV but you get it in your like tweens I Um, wish I had it yeah I know and so I was lucky to have it my mom was like yeah obviously my like 12 year old isn't having sex right now, but obviously she will one day. Right. So like, thanks mom. That's very helpful. But you need to have the foresight to be like, my child will have sexual relations one day. And most parents are like, can't wrap my brain around it. Just get HPV. Sorry. Right. right. Yeah. And I think there is a thing around like, if, if boys had, if boys we're going to become people who were symptomatic. I feel like they, they wouldn't have as much of an issue giving them a, the vaccine at 12 years old, because this idea that, you know, it's permissible for a 17 year old boy to be having sex versus there. It's absolutely not okay for a 16 year old girl. Right. And it also though speaks to that obviously like misogyny and patriarchy but also like the fact that like in order to go to grade school you have to get the tbi shot right so like you can't even go to a public school without getting that vaccine because we know that it's trans it's like transmissible that way and that like people in group like should protect one another and like if we treat that the the tuberculosis ST- yeah yeah like tuberculosis. tuberculosis i mean all of those tdap or whatever right, like right. All you the have school to, ones. Yeah, because it's like you can pass these things on to each other. And that's just like, that's another way that stigma keeps us from like staying healthy is that like if we just made it, we know that kids are having sex. We know that t- tweens are having sex. So it's like, why not also include that in like, you know, the prescriptive balance, right? Um, anyway, but I think in Buddhism a lot about like how, you know, the lotus is like the symbol of Buddhism and it's this like beautiful unblemished flower you know that is like from which life springs but like the thing that like the lotus is rooted in is like the mud which is like Mm. this like grungy decomposing dark warty like nature so I think like when we think about when I think about my sexuality and like taking away the stigma I kind of think of myself in that sense like that like it's kind of like the lotus right like there's all of these other things that it can feed off of and like learn from but like you don't get the flower without the mud um you don't get the flower without the mud baby yeah so I think about that a lot about like STIs um and yeah I mean like I don't know. I had like, so before my STD trauma, I had like pre-STD trauma or STI trauma. So like, for example, um, I started jacking off when I was like a preteen <laughs> with soap because it was like the first thing that I like realized worked. But what that led to was like really flaky, dry skin. Oh my God. I but, was going to say, ouch, dude. Yeah. And like, but I didn't, 
like I didn't get what was happening. Like I didn't really quickly get what was happening. You didn't put it together. But there was so much shame, like, because my evangelical childhood, like, I couldn't go to my parents and be like, oh, my God. I jerked off with with dial. Yeah, because jacking off equals death or, like, you know, sin. So I was, like, walking around with this, like, really dried out, like, cracked situations down there. But your penis smelled so good. My penis was clean. Yeah. (laughs) So good. But, like, so that was, like, what I call, like, my my training wheels for the STI, STD situation. Um, but I also, like, I grew up on the swim team. And so I, like, got, like, uh, I was in, like, the showers a lot. So, like, lots of jack-off material. So it's probably why I started jacking off so early because I saw all these, like, beautiful bodies. But um, I also got, like, uh, jock itch from that, like, on my feet. I got, so I, like, those were kind of, like, the training wheels, just learning that, like, the body it was, like, a permeable surface, mm. even before I started having sex. So I think I kind of had, like, a head start in just, like, thinking about, like, the shame um, of my own STI, STD Nothing um, like some jock to, like, really drive it home. <laughs> Nothing like it. Nothing like it. But, but like, this is about to happen to your peen. Watch out. Yeah, but it's also, like, there's no shame in that. And you can, like, go to, like, Walgreens and get the treatment for it so it's like right such is yeah. life um such but life. it's it's funny to me like how much stigma even when I moved to San Francisco like I got set up on this date with this drag queen who was like a beautiful person in drag but like a really hot virulent masculine person out oh, of isn't drag. that the best oh my god it sounds really so sexy. good huge beautiful penis um anyway we had this like really great romp all night long um, because we were set up on this date and they were like oh my god so hot and huge romp and then like three days later I got an itch in the peen and then I got a discharge and I was like 19 so I didn't really know like I hadn't really been given um, you know sort of the framework on like how to talk about it like what to do about it mm. and so like I told my housemate who told other people <gasps> oh, and it like became this thing kind of in the community that like this person had given it to me when in reality like that's not what I was saying like I was just like what do I do like how do I talk to them mm. and then I saw them at a party and like apparently I had been like canceled because <gasps> I told everyone that oh. this had happened but I didn't I really was like asking a friend like oh my god what do I do how do I do it Um, And then, so I went up to them at the party and I was like, hey, like, how, like, I don't know if I gave it to you or if you gave it to me, I don't think it really matters, but like, what do we do now? And so we like went to Magnet um, Strut at the time in San Francisco, which San Francisco has really good um, access to treatment that way. And like, I had to get antibiotics. Um, Did they diagnose it? it? What was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Gano. Okay. Um, but which was only my first time. I've had the clap so many times. My doctor calls it the standing pl- applause. <laughs> it's like a standing ovation up, up in here. Um, but I got so I went to the strut. They were like Gano, whatever, and I was like, God damn it! Um, and they gave me this like. Um, I guess it was azithromycin, but it was like an antibiotic. At that time, it was the treatment. I think it's changed now. I think they inject you because gonorrhea has developed um, 
antibiotic resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Like as viruses do, or this is a bacterial infection, but um, these things change. Anyway, the one thing that they told me, so I had all this shame because I I had been canceled in like the community. And this person, by the way, is still in San Francisco and still hates me. No. (laughs) Yeah. As a result, I know, whatever. Um, Listen to those voices. Um, But the one thing that they told me when they gave me this antibiotic is they were like, do not drink and do not go out in the sun. And guess what I fucking did? I like walked my gay ass, my my herpetic gay ass down to uh, Dolores Park and I got wasted in the summer sun. I was going to say, it's kind of hard to like be in the sun in San Francisco, but you fucking found a way. Yeah, it was like August. So it was like the one sunny month. But then I broke out in this. So on top of the shame and on top of the pain, on top of the discharge, on top of being canceled by this hot top drag queen, I also butt broke out in like a full body rash, which was a reaction to the sun and the booze altogether. Fuck. Yeah. And so it really started off for me kind of like, but I think, you know, when you start from the bottom, you know, you can only get better in a, in a way. So like, for me, it was just like kind of a good intro to say like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's only going to get better from here. Yeah. And then that's like so many times I've had to go back because I have I've had a really positive sex life, you know, like. um, But yeah, so I had to go. I had to deal with it. But now I know, like, if you're on serious antibiotics, like avoid sun and booze. Um, I try to do both. I think as you age, though, you try to do that anyway. Like you try to like manage your like wear a goddamn hat and the sun. Yeah, exactly. SPF 8000. Yeah. Okay. I have another funny San Francisco story that, so there was this like really cute vintage shop that was down the street from me that I went to all the time. But because I'm six foot four, I have a very specific body type and like not a lot of clothes look great on me. Um, So anyway, I knew this other person who was like bi quote unquote, but very closeted about their bi-ness. And I had had sex with them like the week before and they, had sold this really cute pair of shorts that they had worn little white cute shorts to this vintage shop okay and long story short long story shorts yeah long story short little cute white shorts I went into the shop with kind of an itchy dick but I was like I'm not getting this discharge I don't really know what's going on and I like bought these white shorts and your peen fell out after were this person's that I had had sex with and I looked inside to the white shorts and there was a green stain (gasps) that had been a discharge (gasps) and then within like 24 hours I developed a green discharge and I went back and it was another type of gonorrhea what you can get you can get an STI from shorts no, I had had it from having sex with them, but bought the shorts that they had that oh, they were okay. symptomatic and didn't tell me about because they oh. were painful. Oh my God. So it's not like you got it from the shorts, but you yeah. put all the pieces I together because of the shorts. Yeah. Oh, but then God. I like also looked inside and I was like, oh my God, what is this green stain? Oh my God. Please um, tell me that you still have the shorts today. I think I might somewhere. They're they're in the summer collection. They're like maybe, but they're still cute. My ass looks great in them. And you 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 weren't like, oh my god, this represents this like dick itch that I got, and so I can't. I have to part with you forever. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and whatever. I don't think I've tried to really destigmatize drippy dick or like any sort of STI, STD stigma because like shame equal, or stigma equals shame. Yeah. And then shame causes you to hide the thing that you're ashamed of, which really just creates like reinfection, right? So it's this like very vicious web of like shame and stigma. So like, like exactly like kind of the, the, the goal of this podcast is, is like, how do we talk about these things in a way that is like useful, right? For right. us and for everyone. Cause it's like, bring that shit out of the darkness. Well, yeah. You know? As they, as they say in 12 step programs, you're only as sick as your secrets. Sure. Exactly. So no secrets around here, baby. I mean, there's also a flip side to that. Like, so for example, like Truvada, the thing that's kept me from, I feel so lucky too. And as a white person, I think I should talk about that. Like the fact that like, I have access to this medication because I live in a city like San Francisco and I have maintained an HIV negative status. Like to this day, brown and black communities in the queer community, they have higher infection rates than white folk. And it's because culturally, there's more access to care and more access to testing and more access to information in terms of like people talking about it. So I just want to name that as a privilege of mine. But like I said, like a pendulum thing about Truvada is now there's been a revival of syphilis in the gay community among men who have um, access to this treatment, Truvada, because they're having more and more unprotected sex. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's revived this otherwise thought to be kind of cured, antiquated disease. Um, and I've actually had syphilis. Oh. And like this thing about, but I got syphilis before Truvada and I got it from a partner, um, a, a, a person that I was dating. Um, but we were so in the dark about syphilis because, like, so basically they had a chanker, which is like the sore that develops as a a symptom but we didn't know what it was because it's painless so like Mm. we thought it was on their body and they had a front hole and a back hole but they were a man long story not a long story um but they had a chanker and we didn't know what it was but we like kept having sex anyway and like we went and they didn't even test us for syphilis because at that time it wasn't a thing yeah and because we were on Travada and because we didn't have other STIs. So it, it again, it just speaks to like uh, the presumptive testing that goes on. But now they test for syphilis, especially in San Francisco, because they know this. Um, but we had it for a while, and like de- you can develop really severe symptoms. It can cause blindness, right? It can cause a lot of things. Yeah. 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 Um, so to everyone listening, like if you're getting tested and you're sexually active, especially if you're on Truvada, like be sure to get tested for syphilis as well. Um, so One anyway, the, um, yeah, I think it's worth us. mentioning the like really horrible racist history of syphilis. Are you guys familiar with any of that? Oh my God. Yeah, no, you can speak not. to it. So yeah, um, essentially, God, I forget the year, but it was not that long ago. Um, it's called the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, if you'd like to look it up. But essentially, yeah. um, African-American males were infected with syphilis um, without being told. What? And then um, yeah. they just let that play out to see what would happen <gasps> when people have late-term syphilis. What the yeah. fuck? Without telling them. Oh, you don't know that. Oh, you don't know about all the violence in medicine. This is like the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I know but about that's also like some- I didn't know about that. Yeah, so definitely, as we know it, is a result of Black women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I knew about that. Oh my God, Michael! Wow, that's where was that? 
I mean, Tuskegee. I, I'm Tuskegee, almost assuming. Yeah. Where's Where's Tuskegee? It's an It's guys? a It's an air base. It's an army air base in Alabama. So wow. it was World War II. Alabama. Okay. So okay. It okay. was It was 1940. Wow. God. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the date on that. It's not very long ago. Like my, if you have a grandma, she was probably alive then. Yeah. Yeah. And it was illegal was. for her if she was white to date a black man. Jesus so. Christ. Yeah. Well, so, oh, it was actually 1932 to 1972. So it okay. was a really long spanning thing because they really were just seeing like, what years. happens if we do nothing? Mm. Wow. Um, so it was going on until the 70s, which some of you listeners might have even been alive in the 70s, your parents, etc. So it's really not a long time ago. Yeah. All um, and it was 399 men. And I'm using men because that's what the study is using. We obviously don't know how they all identify. Um, and yeah, they were basically just left to die. And, and then, of course, the, another huge awful thing that happened is they passed it to their wives and their partners who sure. passed it on to other family members, even through non-sexual activity, like if you're sharing a bathtub with your kid, et cetera, et cetera. So right. it really became this horrific pandemic in that area. And I think it's always worth just speaking on when we're talking about syphilis. But yeah, another reason it's STIs are also really racially um, stigmatized is because of that. Wow. Absolutely. And like, I even have a part, I had a partner who I was in like kind of an open situation with before the pandemic. And they were telling me um, how as a brown person, like, you know, white people in the gay community, like the assumption between whites having sex is like, oh, you're clean. Like you get tested regularly. Like you're on your antivirals or you're on your Truvada. So like you're safe to have unprotected sex with. But the stigma around white people having sex with brown and black bodies is so high. Like, mm-hmm. they're always like, oh, are you double sure that you're clean? Are you double sure that you're safe? So there's so much racism, mm-hmm. I think, right. that, like, goes on, especially even when we talk about it. So, like, I thank you so much for bringing that up and naming it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one time, I, so <laughs> I really don't like to shit on Planned Parenthood because obviously they are great. And a lot of times they are the only resource we have, but they can also be really big perpetrators of um, racially based medical violence. So I'm white. And one time I went in just for, you know, an STI check in college. And I was asking, I forget what specific test. And the guy was like, oh yeah, you don't need that. You're white. (gasps) And so I was also like, interesting because then maybe you have all these white people walking around with like asymptomatic STIs that don't know them because Planned Parenthood was like, yeah, it's not really common in your community. Right. Oh my God. And also, wow. how do you know who I'm having sex with? Like, you're assuming I'm only having sex with white people. You're assu- you know what I mean? You're assuming I'm having protective sex. You're making all these assumptions. Right. But in like medicalization, there's so many assumptions that happen when you walk into someone's office and they see you and they're like, yeah, white person, healthy looking white person. Mm-hmm. Right. And this also just speaks to the fact that I was reading something yesterday about how there is no such thing as objectivity because, mm. and I think that we tend to project that onto medicine and science that these are like objective facts, but there's no consciousness that we know of that is objective. Everything is filtered through a subjective lens. And that means, you know, doctors, scientists are also subjective thinkers. They're all, they're all of every consciousness that we know of is a subjective lens. So right. like, you know, medicine is no exception, but Michael, I really love the segue that you provided because we want to ask you some questions about trauma and STDs. And, um, we like, I feel I, like when- I just wanted to wrap up what I was talking about. Oh, I'm quick. sorry. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Go, so for sorry, it. Go ahead. I thought you were. Yeah, dead. no, I just think that like, like just to shore up and like, just to 
what you were saying. Like, I think that like, w- imagine what sci- like life would look like if we just viewed STIs, STDs as like a normal part of fooling around of like sexuality without fear of tarnishing our reputations um, and like how we talk to our partners and our doctors about it. Um, I just think it's like, it's all, you know, like normalizing the conversation around STIs and STDs is like the thing that can like really help. And that's what would have helped me, you know, and if I could have gone back to my younger self, you know, and like given myself some insight, it would have been that it would have been like, let's normalize the conversation around it. Yeah, that would have helped me a lot too, you know, if and, I had known. And also just like knowing that it's so common and the prevalence is higher than we think. But before I forget, just to talk about the, um, there was recently a case where a girl, a teenage girl contracted chlamydia from her vape cartridge. Oh my God. I saw that. Yeah. And it was in her lungs. So I just think that like, there's so many ways like STIs and STDs aren't necessarily transmitted sexually either. Like I got warts on my side once from using a towel from (gasps) a friend. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, even um, I got not always... scabies from a cu- couch in college. So what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, and there's a lot of things like group B strep we were talking about before that like aren't considered STIs, but they are right because if right. you anal sex with someone and then they put their penis in your mouth and you get strep throat, well, that was contracted via sexual activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's we don't really consider it an STI. So that's the same thing with like a lot of different things you can get from non non it's what seems like non-sexual contact right, right. yeah so now totally. I think is probably a good time Remy if we want to roll into that yeah okay so Michael one of the things that I was really excited to talk to you about in your experience as a sex educator I feel like when you're taking sex ed in school um, and even in college when you're taking it there's a lot of like uh, statistics dropping right like we hear mm-hmm. a lot of numbers but there isn't a conversation around the emotional impact of STDs and sort of like the, the emotional trauma around STDs. And I, I was just curious if in your experience with this work, you know, how you view that, how you see that, how you see that relationship between like emotions and STD and trauma and STDs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think school is a really great place to start because that's when um, a lot of people are getting their sex education Um, besides like from porn and from other students, it's really from school. Um, And I, based on, I always ask, um, I have like an intake form for my students before class. And I always ask like, what was your sex education? And almost always they put none or bad. So I, um, I have some of the best sex education experience that I know of based on my students. And, um, it's been interesting because I generally teach in person, but in coronavirus, I've been teaching all over the world from zoom. So I'm getting like way more diverse answers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so being from Los Angeles, like we did have Planned Parenthood come and talk to us at school. We did have, I don't Mm as comprehensive of sex education as public schools tend to have. But at the same time, like I remember in eighth grade, my chemistry teacher who I did not like at all. I hope she's listening, mm. honestly. Um, what a bitch. We hate her. Call out. Call <laughs> her out. She sucks. Drag her. I really I didn't was a product like her. of abstinence only sex she, education. She wasn't abstinence only, but what she did was she gave, um, she had all of these test tubes and everyone had like, a little like three of them had like dye in it or whatever that was like invisible to the eye oh my god and i she, know this test he we told did this us test to too. go around and pour 
little bit of water in and out of everyone of people's test tubes. And by the end, everyone had, when she put the black light on it or whatever it was, everyone had an STI, right? What? I did the same thing. And so, yeah. And then she showed us this slideshow of just the most, also like, this is so fucked up, right? Because showing people's vulvas that have an STI as a fear tactic is so fucking shaming. It's like, oh, you don't want a vulva like this disgusting vulva. Like that's literally how they teach sex ed. And so then we just have a slideshow where it was like, this is warts, this is chlamydia, this is this, here's someone dying of AIDS, here's this, here's this. And then that's essentially like what we got as sex ed. Um, Of course, no queer competency of any kind. Um, Yes, they told us to use condoms and it wasn't really abstinence only. Um, And then interestingly, I don't want to take too much of a segue into this, but I am a birth worker as my like main um, job, but this same teacher also showed us um, a vaginal birth and she rewound it and kept showing it over and over again, which was this like woman screaming and giving birth. So we actually like have childbirth fear and STI fear really, really, really ingrained into us from the sex education. And then Mm. one of the products of that, that's like not as known about, but that I see so frequently is then people go to their doctor and they're like, do whatever you can to help me. And they're not actually researching, researching the choices that they have available. Right. Um, like I was remembering when Remy said that she had a path that, um, she had like a strain of HPV, whatever. A lot of people tell me they had that. And then their doctor like immediately recommended a surgical procedure, blah, blah, blah. And then now they have scarring and all this crazy other stuff, Mm. but they didn't know that they could actually just wait and see. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, of course, everybody's experience with the virus is different. I'm not telling you like not to treat your HPV, but um, just the fear mongering involved when you can actually just do nothing and probably live with it is, is really intense. Right. Yeah. And not in another treatment, there's like an idiom that gets used in treatment a lot. And it's uh, oppression breeds obsession, mm. um, which like, I feel like in my case, it's like we become obsessed with these things, right? Like the STI, because we like oppress it and we don't talk about it. And there's like mm-hmm. not enough information out there. So just to throw that in. I love that. I mean, I don't As love my, that. Um, <laughs> love my that. doula brain is really inclined to give everyone like a real life, like tool to use for this. So this sure. can be for any medical procedure of any kind. I use it for my clients who are having abortions, having babies, having any pregnancy outcome. So the acronym is called brain. Have you guys heard of it before? No. No. Okay. So you can Google it, Google like brain doula and all these like infographics will come up. Um, mm. But essentially brain is benefits. So what are the benefits of making this decision? Um, mm risks what are the risks involved alternatives what are the alternatives intuition what does my gut say and then nothing Mm. what if we do nothing because oftentimes like people will go to their doctor with hpv and they'll be like we have to do these 50 things and the person just says yes but they didn't ask like what if we did nothing the doctor was like oh we can just watch and wait like (laughs) it's an option it's a viable option option. and and even if that's not the best option it is your right to refuse treatment right right and so just knowing that you actually can ask these questions and having this kind of script Yeah. Um, And the script is great because people get what's called white coat syndrome. Like you plan to say all this stuff to your doctor when you get in the room, you're just like deer in a headlights kind of thing. Right. Um, So yeah, sorry for that little segue. No, I love that. That's That's exactly. So yeah, essentially school is just breeding these people that are so ashamed of their sexuality, think that all STIs are a disgusting stigmatized life sentence, think that childbirth is the worst thing in the planet. And then Mm. they just go out and all have sex with each other. 
Right. <laughs> right. Totally. Uh, yeah. And, but they like raw dog in the closet. Right. That's what I was going to say. I know. It's so, it's so stupid. It's so dumb. Um, and so that's the reason I actually like, I, I thought about a long time about using other places like sex, sex education. And I actually just developed my own because I've been so frustrated, even with plant, fer- uh, sorry, even with Planned Parenthoods in terms of the fear mongering and stuff. Oh, so wow. Planned Parenthood does have up-to-date information on all STIs, but I don't think they're doing a comprehensive job of destigmatizing STIs in schools, mm. if that makes sense. And we, if, if you have uh, like any information on your doula or any of this, that w- I would love to like share that widely if we could. Oh yeah, for sure. Up. So my Great. website is doulamichael.com. So it's D-O-U-L-A-M-Y-C-H-A-L. And on there, you'll be able to find all my links to like sex ed and stuff. And then um, my Instagram is feminist underscore doula. And then I am starting a podcast called Rethinking Reproductive Health. So those are all the things I have going on. Those are some of the things I have going on at the moment. (laughs) Yay. Oh my God. This has been such an Mm. eye-opening conversation. I've learned so much and I felt like I was pretty educated on this, but I feel like this is really, um, especially in terms of like racism Mm. and the medical community and STDs and also the queer community. There were a lot of things I didn't know. So I thank you guys both so much. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. Thank you so much, Michael, for Michael, like my God, joining thank us. You. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Thank you guys for having me. I think too, like just the takeaway just generally is like stigma leads to shame, right? And that like stigmatizing things does nothing for nobody. Yeah, we're, we're not into it. We don't Over. like it. Don't do it. And then just to talk about Trauma Rama Ding Dong real quick, um, we are so happy everyone's listening. Um, please like us, please share us, please stream us. But also if you are so inclined, if you like what you're listening to, um, you could hit that donate button. You could send us some cash. Um, Remy and I are trying to get things going off the ground so we can come to you once a week. Yeah. And also um, you can email us at traumaramadingdong at gmail.com. And kind of tell us what's going on with you. What are some topics you'd like to hear about? Or if you like have a story that you would love us to share on an episode, something about what, you know, a way that you've healed or yeah. what, how your trauma has transformed. What works cetera. for you. Yeah. What's going on, baby? Or things you want us to cover, questions you have for us. All the things. Um, yeah. Links to your Airbnb so we can go on a <laughs> podcast. Retreat. Yeah. Yeah, links to your Airbnb in Mexico because when can when we can travel again, we're on it. Yeah. Thank you again to the doula, Michael. Thank, thank you, so you much. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. You. Thank you guys. Trauma. Have a great week, y'all. Rama. Ding. Dong. Trauma Rama Ding Dong. Bye. Bye.